Thanks for being back tonight to study God's hymn as we gather together and encourage one another as we strive to live a life for Christ. This evening, I want to continue along the lines of our um, efforts this year, to especially for the, for the young people in our audience, to talk about fundamentals and establish ourselves on fundamentals. Um, I'm not going to be uh, revealing anything earth-shattering to um, most of us tonight, but I think it's important for us to, to establish ourselves on fundamentals, especially for the young people, so that they understand them. David's handing out uh, a, a little uh, worksheet for the kids to take notes on. Um, there, uh, kids, you can fill in the blanks with the words that are missing from the slide, and then there's a line underneath each point for you to write down the verses that are associated with each point, so you can do that if you'd like to. Um, but tonight I want to talk about the Lord's Supper and some fundamental things about the Lord's Supper uh, to remind us and uh, help us be grounded on the truths of the Lord's Supper. Because surprisingly, the Lord's Supper is under attack. As simple as the teachings on the Lord's Supper are, they're under attack, and they've been under attack for a long time. A lot of perversions in the denominational world around the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, uh, but I'm afraid that there may be uh, those, those tr trends and those pressures uh, coming our way as well. And so we need to talk about the Lord's Supper and what the Bible teaches us about uh, this important part of our worship. It is one of the five acts of worship that we've talked about uh, in recent lessons. Uh, the Lord's Supper is one of those five acts. The Lord's Supper and the giving of our means are limited to the first day of the week. Singing and praying and preaching and teaching are not limited to the first day of the week, but the Lord's Supper is, and we need to talk about what uh, God says about this important institution. First off, we know that the Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus the day before his crucifixion. Jesus was crucified on a Friday, and so this would be Thursday when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Jesus uh, instituted the Lord's Supper on the night uh, before he was betrayed. Uh, the same night he was betrayed, but that, that night before he was crucified. In Matthew chapter 26, in the passage that Joseph read for us again, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. You will remember that this uh, uh, supper that they were eating, while they were eating, was the Passover meal that they were partaking in the upper room that had been prepared for them, they are now partaking of that, and during that meal, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. That's an important fact that we'll talk about in a minute. But remember that that was during the Passover meal. This was on the Thursday night when Jesus was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion. That's when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, not when first century Christians partook of the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But it was instituted that night. Now, what does that tell you about the importance of the Lord's Supper? This is the night that Jesus is betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, the night before he will die on the cross for the remission of our sins. What does that tell you about the Lord's Supper? 
I'll tell you, if you know you got less than 24 hours to live, you're not engaged in superficial, unnecessary, unimportant things. The Lord's Supper was important to Jesus. He established it then. It's important to us. It is for our benefit, the Lord's Supper. And we need to understand how important it is. Some who are suggesting that we could change the elements. And they've been suggesting that for some time. And that suggestion continues. That the elements really aren't that important. But the elements are important. If it was important for, enough for Jesus to establish it with these elements, then it is important that we observe it with the elements that he told us to observe it with. And the elements are unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. How do we know this? In Mark chapter 14, verse 22... Another passage that gives us the accounts of that Last Supper has been called, or that Passover meal, when Jesus now institutes the Lord's Supper. In, Acts, in Mark 14, verse 22, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So as they're eating that meal, Jesus takes bread and says they need to take this and remember his body. Now that just says that it's bread. And nowhere in the New Testament will you read it referred to as unleavened bread. It's just not there. So how do we determine that we need to partake of the Lord's Supper with unleavened bread rather than a loaf of bunny bread up here or something like that? How do we know that it's unleavened bread? Well, we know that because we remember that they were partaking of the Passover meal. And the Passover that week had specific regulations around what they were to be doing then. And one of those regulations was they were to be getting leaven out of their houses. In Exodus chapter 12, in Exodus chapter 12, when the Passover is instituted, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 18 beginning. In Exodus 12 beginning verse 18, In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he be a stranger or born in the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations you shall eat unleavened bread. And so they were to get all the leaven out of their houses for that, that week of the Passover. They were eating this meal during that week. It was the Passover meal. There would be no leaven in the house if they were upstanding and right Jews in that day. Jesus was following the law of Moses at that time. He lived uh, a sinless life. And so we know that Jesus did not eat any leaven at that meal. And so the bread that they were using was unleavened bread. Now we're not our authority, and we are, but we're using what Jesus established as our authority under the New Testament covenant. He established the, the Lord's Supper with unleavened bread, and following Jesus, not the law of Moses, we're going to partake it with unleavened bread. In Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, we also see that this that we're to take is the fruit of the vine. In Luke 22, verses 17 and 18, and he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Jesus took of the fruit of the vine. And so it is unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine. It's interesting, Jesus didn't use the word wine here. He used the word fruit of the vine. We believe it is unleavened fruit of the vine. Unleavened, I'm mean, sorry, unfermented grape juice. Uh, that is we're taking of here. So unleavened bread and fruit of the vine are the elements of the Lord's Supper. Fundamental things again, but things that we need to be established on.
Next up, we understand from the New Testament that the, fruit of, that the Lord's Supper is to be taken on the first day of the week. The Lord's Supper is to be taken on the first day of the week. That first day, obviously, being Sunday. We know this by looking at the Old Testament again and knowing that the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day or Saturday, and then the first day of the week being Sunday. And we see that Christians partook of this. We see it only one place in the New Testament, but they took of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And so we see that first century Christians took of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Paul waited around until the first day of the week to take of the Lord's Supper with Christians there. We don't have any record of Christians taking the Lord's Supper on Monday or Tuesday or any other day other than Sunday. And so if we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper in an auth on an authorized day, we'll have to limit that day to the first day of the week. Now the argument we made, well, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on Thursday. He did. But we see how Christians in the first century partook of the Lord's Supper and they partook of it only on Sunday. Now, the question is, how often should we partake of it? Should it just be one Sunday a month, one Sunday a quarter, one Sunday a year? How often should we partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, from this verse, we see that there's no distinction made about which Sunday it was. It was just a first day of the week. It doesn't say that it was a special day of the year or the month or the quarter. It was just the first day of the week. And so from this verse alone, we could conclude, well, we should be taking of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. But there's other arguments we can make to support this. The other one is, another argument is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning verse 1, doesn't talk about the Lord's Supper at all. But it talks about something else that we do on the first day of the week. And this shows us that Christians were in the habit or in the practice of meeting every first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, beginning verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The Christians were coming together on the first day of the week. Christians in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, were partaking of the Lord's Supper when they came together on the first day of the week. Christians in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 were giving of their means. How often we should give of our means. Denominations aren't suggesting that we just give of our means one day a year or one day a quarter. No, every first day of the week is what is easily understood here. In fact, historians tell us that from their understanding, Christians were partaking of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Notice these accounts. Didache, and, and, who uh, uh, wrote this around 95 A.D., not long after the church was established, he wrote that, he, that, that Christians were coming together on the first day of the week to break bread. Justin Martyr, around 150 A.D., records that Christians assembled on Sunday and partook of the Lord's Supper. Historians agree that this was a common practice among Christians. It was what was authorized, we see, from the scriptures. And we can look at the, con the broader context of Acts chapter 20. And start at verse 6. Notice what Paul's traveling arrangements were. 
In Acts chapter 20, beginning of verse 6, And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came to them into Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Paul traveled to Troas, and he waited there a week so he could partake of the Lord's Supper with Christians. There's no reference to Paul having to check now say, well, do they partake of it this first day of the week? Should we wait around? Or are we going to have to wait around two weeks before they partake of the Lord's Supper? We're going to have to wait around a month, six months until they partake of the Lord's Supper? No, we waited a week because they were coming together every Sunday to partake of the Lord's Supper. We also have this indication that this, is, this terminology and this approach is accurate by looking at another institution from the Old Testament that is very, worded very similarly. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says that they came together on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper. Exodus chapter 20, one verse later, verse 8. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Link Acts, Acts 20, verse 7 with Exodus 20, verse 8. And we understand from the wording of the Ten Commandments in, Acts chapter, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, where the uh, Israelites were told to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. They were told to remember the Sabbath day. To remember the Sabbath day was that. Which seventh day was it? Was it one Saturday a month? One Saturday a quarter? No, they were told to remember the Sabbath day. And every time the Sabbath day came around, they were to remember it. And Christians in the New Testament were coming together to break bread on the first day of the week. Which first day of the week? Well, every time the first day of the week came around, they were to partake of it. You know, we could use the same example in our everyday life. If you started a new job and they, they came around and told you that payday is on Friday, which Friday would you expect to get your check or your direct deposit nowadays? Would you expect to get your deposit once a month, once every other Friday? No, if they say payday is on Friday, we know it every time Friday comes around, it's your payday. And so it is with the Lord's Supper. They took the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Every time the first day of the week came around, they were partaking of the Lord's Supper and, you know, this isn't just some kind of radical, far-out idea that nobody else would agree with. You know, denominational scholars agree with this as well. Denominational scholars agree that Christians were partaking of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Now, these denominations that these folks were part of would not necessarily agree that you have to do it every first day of the week, but they would agree that they were doing it. August, August, and we would we'd conclude that if they were doing it every first day of the week, we should as well. Augustus Neander, who was a Lutheran, said this, As we have already remarked, the celebration of the Lord's Supper was still held to constitute an essential part of divine worship every Sunday. This gentleman, who was a Lutheran, agreed that in the first century they were partaking of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. He's not alone. Thomas Scott, who was a Presbyterian, wrote this, This ordinance, referring to the Lord's Supper, seems to have been administered every Sunday. Lord's Day. Presbyterian and abuse. That's what first century Christians were doing. And A.C. Hervery, an Episcopalian, said this is also an important example of weekly communion as the practice of the first Christians. We're not just making some unsubstantiated conclusion here. Folks agree that first century Christians were partaking of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And as such, if we're going to follow their example, as we're instructed to do, we should take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. 
as we continue looking at fundamentals about the Lord's Supper. I'll tell you, we also need to understand that the Lord's Supper shows Jesus' death. Now, there's some confusion. It may be real confusion. It may just be sloppiness with our words as we, as we uh, speak about the Lord's Supper, particularly in talks before the Lord's Supper, not referencing talks here, but in other places that I've been, and, and prayers that are made before the Lord's Supper. Folks talk about remembering things other than the Lord's death. Specifically, talk about His resurrection. The Lord's Supper is not. Look in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, notice what Jesus is remembering or pointing to as He establishes the Lord's Supper. In Luke 22, verse 19, And He took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of Me. We're remembering Christ's body that He gave uh, for us in sacrifice for our sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse 24, And when He had given thanks, He brake it and said, Take heed, this is My body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of Me. And in the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. We're remembering Christ and His sacrifice and His death. In fact, as we go on in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, we read, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. We're not remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the Lord's Supper. We're remembering His sacrifice. The elements are not representative of His burial and resurrection. They're representative of His body and His blood that were sacrificed for us. And Paul says that we're doing this in remembrance of Christ and His death. And so the Lord's Supper shows Christ's death. The Lord's Supper shows Christ's death. Furthermore tonight, the Lord's Supper is a communion. A communion. The Lord's Supper is communion. In fact, many times it is referred to as the communion. What does the word communion mean? Communion means a sharing together or a fellowship. And the Lord's Supper is referred to very clearly in the New Testament as a sharing together or a fellowship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 beginning. This cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. This is a communion. We're sharing this together as we partake of these elements, as we remember Christ, as we show forth His death until He come. We're sharing together in that act. It is a communion, a sharing. Furthermore, along those lines, we know from the Scriptures that the Lord's Supper is to be partaken of in the assembly. The Lord's Supper is to be taken of in the assembly. The Lord's Supper is not something that you can just take on your own, take wherever you might be. Instead, the Lord's Supper must be partaken of in the assembly. Again, that's the instructions around the Lord's Supper. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Where did the disciples partake of the through the vine and the, and the unleavened bread. Where did they partake of the Lord's Supper? They came together to do that. 
on the first day of the week. You know, they could have very easily just done that in their homes. They could have done it wherever they were, but they came together to do it. In fact, that's what they were instructed to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Paul, if you read the chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know he's getting on to them and he's scolding them for the way that they have treated the Lord's Supper and what it has become to them. It had become a common meal and an out-of-control common meal. And he said, you guys are coming together to one place. Well, that's what they did in Acts 20, verse 7, so good for them. But when they came together in one place, it was not to eat the Lord's Supper. It should have been to eat the Lord's Supper, but it wasn't. It was a common meal at this point. They were coming together. He didn't get on to them for coming together. They should come together. But the problem was they weren't eating the meal like they should. They were to come together in order to eat the Lord's Supper. In fact, as we go on in 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 33. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry for one another. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? If this is a communion, we ought to be doing it together. I can't commune with you if you're eating in your house and I'm eating in mine. That's not communion. That's not fellowship or sharing. We have to be together to do that. That's what they were doing in the first century. They were coming together to partake. We need to understand that the Lord's Supper is to be taken. There, it is a common practice among Christians even if we're going to be on vacation somewhere where there's not a church. Well, let's just pack a little grape juice and a little unleavened bread and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper in our hotel room by ourselves. No, we need to come together in the assembly in order to partake of the Lord's Supper. That's what they did in the first century. That's what they were instructed to do and that's what we need to do. We couldn't. This was very much abused in the COVID era when we couldn't uh, come together as freely. And many were meeting remotely over Zoom. And they were partaking of the Lord's Supper remotely by themselves. And I even heard in one of those uh, meetings, someone say, well, we know that they came together on the first day of the week to do this, but we think God will understand in these circumstances that we're not doing that. Very dangerous, isn't it? When we assume that God will be okay with us doing something different than what He told us to do, very dangerous. We know from the, the Bible, from the New Testament, that Christians came together to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper must be taken of in the assembly. And furthermore tonight, as we look at fundamentals about the New Testament, we need to understand that the Lord's Supper is to be taking, taken worthily and with self-examination. Lots of big words there for the kids to put in their paper. I'm going to give them just a minute to do that. It'll be take, it's to be taken worthily and with self-examination. Scriptures are clear that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're to do so worthily and with self-examination. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Oops, wrong way. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 beginning. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. <clears throat> we might need to teach the kids some shorthand, too, on how to abbreviate Bible verse uh, chapters. It's C-O-R if you want to go quick, kids. First, one C-O-R, you got it covered. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup, eat of that bread and drink of that cup, 
For he that readeth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. We're to be taking the Lord's Supper worthily. If we take it unworthily, we'll uh, take it to our damnation. Well, what does it mean to take of it worthily? Does it mean that you have to live a perfect life and you have to somehow be worthy of Christ's sacrifice or worthy somehow to earn the right to partake of these elements? No. If you had to live a sinless life, none of us would be able to partake of the Lord's Supper. I believe the idea of being taken it worthily means that we're going to take of it in the proper manner. We're going to take it in the proper manner, examining ourselves, asking ourselves, are we living according to the uh, or, or uh, with regard to the sacrifice that God and Christ made for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, a couple of verses earlier in verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus instructed, and after the same manner, also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this, is the cup of, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We need to take of it worthily. We need to be discerning the Lord's body in 1 Corinthians 11, verse, 20, uh, verse 30 there. Uh, I believe it is. Uh, we need to discern the Lord's body. Verse, verse 29. We need to do it in remembrance of Him, examining ourselves. What exactly, again, does it mean to examine myself? Well, look over in Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus chapter 24, as... <clears throat> The children of Israel are agreeing to enter into a covenant with the Lord. As they have been presented with God's instructions to them, and they say, we're going to do it. Sign us up. We will follow God's instructions. We're going to live in a relationship with Him and a covenant with Him. Notice how Moses sealed that covenant in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, beginning. Exodus 24, verse 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So they're given the, uh, they're given the instructions from God. They said, okay, we're going to do them. And Moses says, okay, you're agreeing to do them. And here's the sign, this blood, this blood of the covenant. And he sprinkled it on all the people and, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning these words. They made an agreement. That blood reminded them of the agreement that they made. What did Jesus say about the fruit of the vine? He says, This is the blood of the new covenant. I'll tell you, when we became Christians... When we came into contact with Christ's blood, we were saying the same thing that the children of Israel were saying, weren't we? All that Jesus has said, we will do. We're going to be Christians now. We're going to be his disciples. We're going to follow up all that he said, we will do. And when we're baptized into his blood or into his death, we come in contact with that blood, we enter that covenant. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to tell you, we're remembering the blood of that covenant. We should be remembering what we agreed to, what we said for us to do. That's what we're going to do. And so we're partake of the Lord's Supper, examining ourselves. I want to tell you, brethren, we need to be examining how we're living. Have I been living up to the agreement that I made? 
Every first day of the week, I need to come back to that and say, am I living like I should be living? I need to examine myself. And I will tell you, that's one way that we partake of it worthily. And it is so important that we do so. You know, many times when we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we, before the Lord's Supper, we stop at verse 29. But when we go on to verse 30, I want to tell you, when we don't partake of it worthily, it causes us to be spiritually ill. Verse 30 says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. When we fail to examine ourselves, when we fail to take of the Lord's Supper worthily, we are jeopardizing our, our souls, and we will suffer as a result. Some fundamental facts about the Lord's Supper that hopefully we all already knew. For those younger in the audience, I think it's good for us to talk about these simple things. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus the day before His crucifixion on that Thursday night. The elements are unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. We know they were unleavened bread because it was during that Passover week when they could not have any leaven. And so therefore we know that Jesus used unleavened bread when He instituted the Lord's Supper. We need to do the same today. It is to be taken on the first day of the week. Every day that is the first day of the week, we need to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. That's what they did in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. That's what denominational scholars and historians tell us happened in the first century. They were taken of the, fruit of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. We need to do that every first day of the week. We need to be doing that. It shows Jesus' death. We're not remembering his death, burial, and resurrection. We're remembering his death. It shows his death. It is a communion or a sharing together that is to be done in the assembly and needs to be done worthily and with self-examination. I hope the things we've talked about tonight have been a good review and been helpful. It is so important. You know, it's not any more important than any other act of worship that we do. It's not more important than the singing that we're going to do in just a minute. It's not any more important than the praying that we do together. But it is important. It is just as important as all those acts. And all the acts that we do are important, and we need to view them that way. As we worship together, we're not just here filling time or checking a box. We're here doing what God told us to do, to glorify Him and to edify one another. And along those lines, we have to stop at the end of this lesson and ask, how are you living? Are you living like you should? Are you living in accordance with that covenant that you made when you became a Christian? Are you doing what Jesus said to do? If you're not, we make correction before it's too late. Have you begun that walk with Christ? Have you come in contact with His blood? If you're not a Christian this, this evening and you know what you need to do, there's no better time than right now to do it. If we can help you, let us know while we stand and sing.